McDonald's se está transformando en el mundo anime de McDonald's y te trae la nueva savory chili McDonald's sauce. Los mejores sabores se unen en esta legendaria salsa para que tus 10-piece chicken wackduggets, papitas y Sprite se conviertan en un meal ultra poderoso. Desbloquea un manga con tu meal y disfruta de un corto de anime cada semana. Solo en McDonald's. Badabababa, go! En McDonald's participantes por tiempo limitado hasta agotar existencias. Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like if casual and cool had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. On this episode of Tamarindo, we reflect on the end of Hispanic Heritage Month, we talk about La Jenny 69, and then we learn about the Latinx environmental justice organization called Azul and their work around protecting the ocean. Welcome to Tamarindo Podcast. Hosted by me, Brenda Gonzalez, a political nerd and nonprofit capacity builder. And me, Ana Sheila Victorino, a queer well-being enthusiast and mindset coach. We are a Latinx empowerment podcast discussing politics, culture, and how to keep your calma with well-being practices and self-love. Welcome to the show. Hello, Ana Sheila. Welcome back to another episode of Tamarindo. Yes, what's up, Brenda? Hello, Tamarindo amiguis. Well, what's up with me, since you asked me, I had a great time going to several concerts this weekend. So I got to go see Lido Pimienta on Friday. Freaking amazing, amazing, amazing. And then last night I got to see Jungle Fire. So I'm just glad that music and concerts are back. And that's what I've been up to. So Ana Sheila, ¿qué pasa contigo? ¿Qué pasa conmigo? Um, so I just got back from a, a from a girls trip, an impromptu girls trip. My mom is visiting, and we actually got to spend time. I got to spend time with my mom, with two tías and dos primas, and um, oh, at, in a near Puerto Vallarta, in a home that my mom and my dad and my tía built. So it was very special. I hadn't had a chance to spend time there since they built that house, and I know how hard that was for them. So it was just kind of like, damn mom, like you're a chingona. Like I'm just, she's such an inspiration for me. And it's so the the time that I spend with her is so priceless to me now, just realizing how fragile life is. So I try to spend as much time with her as possible. Pero también what's been cool about living in Mexico is that You know, I have over 30 cousins. A lot of them are in Mexico, but I don't know a lot of them very well because I always just come for very short trips. So it's been really special to be able to spend more time with primas like this that I didn't really know that well and, and get to know them. And it's been wonderful. So, but last night I wasn't able to sleep because we live on a really loud ass street and, um, There was a bar with loud music and my cats, and I was just like, oh. Yeah. So, so thank you, all our listeners, for your patience for when we, when we record, because Ana Sheila is in a busy, busy street in Mexico City. So sometimes you might hear yes. those Mexico City sounds. But what was it yes. like to be by the ocean, Ana Sheila? You took some beautiful pictures of the ocean. How was that? Yeah. I was thinking about this. I was like, what do I actually... 
what do we, why do we all love the ocean so much, right? And I think it's a combination of the sun. So we're getting vitamin D, being able to unplug a little bit. I think just looking at the waves, I think is, is uh, just the flow, like just looking at just ocean, like the waves going back and forth, I think is very calming. Y también there was one more thing. Oh, and some people hate sand. Some people don't like all these things, but I think the sand, like, you know, actually stepping your feet to something that is not, you know, not wearing shoes and stepping on concrete, actually digging your feet into the sand can, can be very grounding. So literally, um, like quite literally grounding, <laughs> quite literally grounding. Yeah. What's your favorite part about the beach? Well, I'll tell you a story that popped into my head as you're talking about Mexico and the beach. I'll tell you about this. I have family that I'm not able to convivir a lot with because I live over here. Many summers in my life, I spent time in Mexico. And one summer in particular, I was 10 years old. One of my favorite uncles, uh, Raul Lucha, that's his wife, and my favorite cousin, Cesar and Carla, who are my age. We took this trip to Acapulco. We borrowed another uncle's car to drive to Acapulco from Puebla, having a great time. And we get to Acapulco and we park this car under a cocoa tree and we do our beach mm -hmm. things. Speaking of sand, I have a very specific memory of getting sand in the little pocket of my bathing suit, right where, where my cuckoo is. Yeah. Not, a, not a great feeling. Uh, getting my trencitas at the beach. Anyways, yes. we get back to the car and the freaking cocoa had landed on the hood and broke the, the windshield. <laughs> So that happened. I think we got a flat tire. I mean, so many things went wrong on this trip, but it's such a fun memory because we talk about this trip so fondly. Like we borrowed the car, right. a Coco fell on it. I think another window broke. I think another tire, like it was a disastrous trip, <laughs> but obviously I had a great, great memories of hanging out with my cousins and being by the beach. Now we're yeah. talking a lot about the ocean because today, and you'll hear about her in just a moment, we're going to talk a little bit about ocean conservation and the badass chingona that's leading the fight around that work. But before we do that, this is our first time getting back together, Anna Sheila, at, at the end of Hispanic Heritage Month. So just what are your final thoughts on las celebraciones? Did you turn into a calabaza? Because that's what I thought was going to happen on October 16th. <laughs> Tell me, what are your thoughts on HHM? I love that that phrase, que we're going to turn into calabazas. <laughs> I mean, we'll see. We'll see if the opportunities keep coming through. I mean, let's see if it's not just like just a month long time that people pay attention to us. I think that's definitely a very frustrating thing about about this month. It's like, oh, it's great people are paying attention to us. Yes, we got featured in here and here and it feels very cool, but then it's, you know, not seeing that continue and feeling like it's it's people are not invested in in us the way in our stories the way I think people need to in order for things to change for our communities. I think that can be really disappointing. So let's give us a few more days to see if we turn into calabazas or maybe something in, in between. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, this was a fun HHM, you know, Hispanic Heritage Month. A couple of things, observations. There, there's been a couple of pieces on this, but there was sort of like an, um, a taking back of the name, Hispanic Heritage Month, using it in lowercase on Twitter especially, and just tweeting out hilarious things, sort of mocking Hispanic Heritage Month. So, for example, I think someone did a thread on Twitter where they were like, uh, at the, to close out Hispanic Heritage Month. And what they did is they had a bunch of quotes from that terrible book from a couple years ago that was of Latinx appropriation. Why well, I'm forgetting the name, and that's good because we should totally forget right. that book. I forgot from her, our, from, the yeah, name of the author. Who, no importa. Well. <laughs> ella no importa. For example, Hispanic Heritage Month and what's his what's the other fulanita hilaria and her little like how do you say cucumber like i really enjoyed the mocking of hhm i thought that was hilarious yes. 
Um, I want to thank Hip Latina for giving me an opportunity to write my reflections on Hispanic Heritage Month, which is really, if you read it, Ana Sheila, it's basically a recap of the workshops that we've been leading. So that's yes. been really fun, and we, wa we want more of those workshops. So if, if you're listening, you can hire us beyond October 15th right. to do a bunch of workshops. So hit us up for that. I do want to say one more thing, too, is that there was a report that was released to, uh, a couple days ago at the very end of the uh, Hispanic Heritage Month and sort of in tradition with the Hispanic Congressional Caucus using this time to elevate issues that impact our community. I want to say a, a, just a quick pullout from this report. I said, quote, despite representing 19% of the U.S. population, Hispanic families hold just 2% of the nation's total wealth. The median net worth of white families is more than five times greater than that of Hispanic families. And the increasing concentration of wealth at the top has widened the wealth gap between the average Hispanic and white households. That is something to not forget during this time. So, but on the lighter side of the end of his HHM, <laughs> what another thing that took, kind of took over the internet was La Jenny 69. For those who do not know, I mean, I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you probably do know, but she's an Instagram influencer that released a corrido that was widely, widely shared on the internet, generally hated. Soy la 69, soy la chingona que salió de Riverside, la que siempre quiso más. Ana Sheila, what did you think of La Chica de Riverside, como tú? Como tú comprenderás. I mean, I, I've got a lot of thoughts, so we can I can share some, we can go back and forth. But I actually did, I listened to the full song with my mom this morning. Like the full song, watched the full video, because I had only listened to little clips. And, you know... Um, I want to say, first of all, I want to start off by saying I didn't grow up with corridos, so I don't feel like I'm an expert at acknowledging what is a basura corrido and what is an excellent corrido. What I do want to say is I actually did like, I don't know if it's called the melody or whatever, like the la musiquita at the beginning of it. I actually um, really enjoyed it. And then, you know, once she started singing is when I felt like it, it started to go down, <laughs> downhill. <laughs> Pero I did actually like La Musiquita. I thought it was very, and I, and I think her, her little phrases are, are very catchy. Um, you know, I did, you know, I, I, I did appreciate the super Mexican como references. For example, there was a magazine called El Proceso that I always took to, that we would always bring back from Tijuana to my abuelito as he got older and he couldn't travel as much. Like he, that was his magazine. So it was like, okay. And and I can't deny that even though, you know, people might not like what Jenny is representing with, you know, her appearance or whatever it may be, I do, I did like to be, have Riverside represented. <laughs> and it's one of those things I kind of have a love-hate relationship with Riverside. It's kind of like with your little siblings, it's like with my little brother. I can talk crap about him, but don't you dare talk crap about my little brother or I'm going to kick your ass. It's the same, same thing with Riverside. It's like, don't you dare, especially LA folk. What bothers me about LA folk that hate on Riverside, it's like they're living in their small studio and then hit, hitting on, you can definitely get a bigger house in Riverside. But yeah, anyway, Riverside, you can have a rancho. <laughs> right. So anyways, it's like one of those things It's like, you better not talk shit about Riverside. And even though there's a lot of things I don't like about it, I still rep hard for it. So there was like a sense of, of pride, even if I don't like everything that she is there. 
represents. Um, those are a few thoughts to start, but I'll, I'll, I'll kick it back to you to, to add some more, some more thoughts. Yes, I agree <laughs> that the instrumentation of the song is actually quite lovely, beautiful guitar <laughs> playing. I also really like the arrangement of the song. It is, it is well done. I think the song <laughs> is good. I think she just needs a little support. And given the day and age that we are, that anybody can sound great with autotune, <laughs> where is her sound engineer like give this girl some help <laughs> like help her out because honestly it's not a bad song it's not a bad song i like it i like it it needs like three more verses and, it, right, and she exactly. needs some help exactly. she needs some help <laughs> but i forever i will be saying from a pobrecita to a bad bitch right, right, right. forever i'll be saying right, that and, and so i like that my my bigger problem with la persona que is like i don't know her that much but my problem with what I'm observing a lot, and I think of Caliucci's in this same vein, I don't like these young women that are getting so much plastic surgery. They look the same. They all look like brat dolls. And I don't think that in a day and age where it's been reported that Latinas, Latina teenagers are the, are the folks that are overrepresenting in suicides, and we've seen that Facebook is getting heat Facebook and Instagram is getting heat for the way that young women are being exposed to these these pressures to look a certain way. That's my long, larger concern. That is what yeah. I don't like. I don't like people like Caliucci's, like esta fulanita, getting her fake-ass boobs and her fake-ass ass when she's in her 20s and probably removing some ribs to just look like a Barbie doll that isn't human. So that's right. my problem. Right. I mean, that pressure can is toxic and it's definitely not healthy for our young women. It's a shame. But yeah, like you said, de pobrecita. What is, what is, what is that phrase? Pobrecita to a bad bitch, Ana Sheila. <laughs> pobrecita <laughs> to a bad like, bitch. You um, got to be saying that in your yes, coaching classes. Yes, I mean, <laughs> you're right. Thank you. That's gonna. I'm going to take that. I'm taking notes. Thank you, Jenny. And, I'm, you know, I think we're always going to cheer for, for people that get, find a way to salir adelante when there's nothing that's really supporting them growing up. She's been able to do that somehow. So I got to we got to give her love for that. And my mom, as my mom likes to call her, she's the as, as she called her today, la chingona chichona. <laughs> La chingona chichona. Yes. I, tal vez tengo envidia because my chichis are chiquitas. Bueno. Now, speaking of something totally different, back bringing us right back to the ocean, but yet to another chingona, we are going to talk a little bit about ocean conservation. Many folks might have this top of mind because a few weeks ago there was an oil spill off the coast here in, in California. This leak is of at least 126,000 gallons of crude oil, one of the largest in recent histories, according to the L.A. Times. It really kind of brought back uh, the forefront how we're destroying our planet and specifically the ocean. So I don't know that much about this, but luckily there's someone that does know a lot about this. We spoke to someone that is a leader in ocean conservation. We talked to Marce Gutierrez Gradinch, the founder and executive director of Azul, which is a grassroots organization that works with Latinx throughout the Americas to protect the ocean and the coast. Azul is the first U.S. organization devoted to elevating Latinx voices in marine conservation. Marce created the Blueprint for Diversity in the Environmental Movement because of her research and authorship of The Verde Paper, get it, The Verde Paper, a celebration of Latino environmental pioneers and grassroots voices, as well as an invitation to establish environmental organizations to collaborate as allies. So Marce is fantastic, otra chingona, at the forefront of ocean conservation. And what I really like, and you'll hear shortly, is that 
She really started Azul with that specific Latinx context because there's to fight back this misconception that Latinos don't care about the environment. So I, I love her story. Marce and I share that we're both powered by petty. And so <laughs> that pettiness is what fired her. And now she's had this organization for 10 years. So we'll hear all about it in just a minute. Hola, Marce. So good to have you here in Tamarindo. Gracias. That's for the invitation. Thanks so much. So you're visiting, visiting Tamarindo here at an important milestone for your organization, the Grassroots Environmental Justice Organization that you started 10 years ago. So this is a tremendous milestone. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yes, Azul? Yes, um, Azul started 10 years ago, like you said. Um, to be entirely honest, I'm surprised I'm still here. I thought originally it was either going to be something that I worked myself out of a job or that I would never make it past the first year or two. Um, so I started Azul because I really wanted to have a space to work um, with community, with my community to do ocean conservation. I was stuck in a place where people were asking me and I didn't understand that at the time. Now I see it as you know tokenizing and some of these um, not great um, sort of dynamics, power dynamics, but I was being put in a position to uh, being asked to do things that I didn't no, I didn't think we're right, but I didn't have the tools or understanding to know why. And I just wanted to do have my own space, have my own, um, just have the ability to be in community with community. And that's how it started. Yeah. So I, and I want to kind of pick a little bit further about how you felt maybe you were tokenized. Now tell us why, maybe a little bit about your personal uh, history, your background. And who sure. You are. So I was born in Tijuana, Baja California. Um, right. And I grew up two blocks from the ocean, two blocks, well, a couple blocks on the border, sort of two blocks. Um, La Esquina Latinoamérica. Um, if you see um, a map, it's sort of like where the two lines cross. And so ocean was always in the background, you know, even family wise. My dad was in the Navy. My grandpa worked in the docks when he first came to the U.S. So it was always something that was there. I grew up going to the beach and stuff like this. I didn't think I was going to be a conservationist. In fact, I probably didn't understand or even know that that was a career um, growing up. But um, I wanted to work in international business. I went into a company, which at the time was the most international I could find, that did um, seafood and bluefin tuna farming. And um, when I was there, I saw the problems of overfishing, and that's what brought, my, brought me over to conservation. So I like to say that I used to sell fish. Now I save them. My first job was working um, with an organization that was, um, you know, here in San Diego, but at the same time, I was part of a of a framework of a work group rather in Southern California that was meant to be representative of people there. And out of 64 people that was supposed to be a public stakeholder group, I was the only one that spoke Spanish. And this is a group that was supposed to represent from Santa Barbara to San Diego, and somehow they could only find one person that spoke Spanish. So as you can imagine, you know, I was put in positions that now I recognize as tokenizing, but I didn't understand at the time. Um, there was no materials in Spanish. There was no outreach in Spanish. Um, none of the initial, you know, um, constituting like uh, guidebooks, anything like that was available. 
And um, I was trying to do the best that I could, but I, I was fighting a lot of friendly fires in the sense that I had to convince a lot of people internally. And at the same time, I learned about other folks doing community organizing, and I realized that that was what I wanted to do. And that's why I really want to start a school to kind of like not have to ask permission to do that. I love that. So now looking back, it's been 10 years. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the most impactful legislative wins that Azul has contributed I to? I am especially proud of the um, single-use plastic bag ban. And that's because when we started talking about that, um, folks here in California had tried to do the bag ban a couple of times. And, um, you know, we were invited. And one of the conditions we asked was that we had a... Um, um, a Latinx um, a co-sponsor in the legislature. And that ended up being um, now U.S. Senator Alex Padilla, who was then California Senator for um, uh, Selmar. And, um, you know, as we were talking, as we were doing our campaigning here in California, we had the folks that were against this bill, which prohibits single the use of single-use plastic bags in taxes some others, um, People were going around saying to my face, behind my face, everybody, like this was just something that was okay for them to say that Latinos didn't know how to use reusable bags, that we were too poor to care, that we couldn't be taught, blah, 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 blah. And I got really pissed off because I was like, are we stupid or something? No, but you know, like Hispanic people, they have to, to do this and that. I'm like, you know, and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking like, um, even my mom and my grandma would say, like, even la gente más pobre tiene para hacer las cosas correctas, you know? And what I was thinking about is, like, exactly my grandmother. She had one of these um, bolsas de mercado, bolsas de yute, that you use over and over and over to go to the Cibre Ruedas, to uh, el mercado. And, you know, she may have not thought about it as environmentalism. It was just what you did. But that was exactly it. And so that's sort of like, well, hold on. Not only do we know how to use these bags, we've had them for generations before Whole Foods came out with their fancy ones, right? And so it was exciting because we went and got um, like a poster made with that bag and says, what about the raices? And it was so exciting because it changed the whole point of it to the point where some of the even like folks in the Latino caucus that had even like closed doors in our face wouldn't talk to us when we were lobbying you know, the next day they're like showing up with their bags and like doing press conferences. So it was really exciting for me, um, for us to have that because it was not about look at what we're showing you, look at what we're coming to teach you. Like you, you know, Latinx folks that apparently don't know how to use reusable bags, but it was not, well, not only do we know how to, we can show you. And so I ended up being the bag lady because I would show up and testify before the Senate committee and everything. And I would bring my bag everywhere. And so it really changed the conversation. And that was a really big, big, um, big um, lesson for, for us in terms of like, you know, appealing to people's hearts. Was like, And it was a different conversation altogether, right? My grandmother had one of those. My mom had one of those. Um, and eventually the about about a year later the the bag ban did pass um so it's been an exciting thing there's been other big wins but that particular one i love because of the culture change that it brought about 
I love that story. And you're, I mean, gosh, what, what a uh, disgrace that people were saying Latinos don't know how to recycle when every single one of us know that it's not butter inside the fridge, right? Like- and this is not just like the opposition, by the way, this is also like folks in my field as well. So this is a prevailing uh, stupidity, frankly. <laughs> Yeah, and I think it really points to the need to have a Latinx-centered conservation organization like Azul because you are pushing against this narrative that conservation and environmental work is just for them, right? It's not for all of us and in, in centering people of color, and I think your work is so important. And I think right now there's a lot of energy, I guess, or, or, or concern. I know that I've been listening to the horrors about the Huntington Beach oil spill. I actually have to turn off the radio when they talk about the animals because it's just so heartbreaking. So right now, all eyes are on this oil spill. What, what concerns you the most about this travesty? Um, I think that my concern is that we think that they're going to go out there and they're going to clean a couple of animals um, and they have the commercials, you know, with the double star running their commercials now because they use them to clean the animals. And the people think that that's it and it's done and lo que sigue, no? But it's not because, you know, we have a problem where the oil is coming out. We have a problem that the dispersants that they're going to use could be a problem, right? Um, because we're putting in more chemicals. And so, I think what is very important for people to understand is that um, oil spills are not that rare. You know, we were talking about an, a spill that happened in the Gulf of Mexico on the Mexican side, maybe two, three months ago. And at that point, we we're looking at um, uh, statistics from the from the uh, U.S. Coast Guard that basically talked about from the 1970 to 2011, which time that they had measured them, there was something like a thousand spills a year every year in the Gulf. And so, you know, they may not not all be as big as Huntington Beach as, you know, Refugio oil spill and stuff like that, but they're happening on a regular basis and it's concerning. Um, I hope that this is sort of the thing that gets us to move on, you know, not just um, not getting more oil drilling sites, but also decommissioning what we have there because it is, it is a really big problem all around, not just for the animals. And believe me, I feel for the animals, but let's also think about the people that, for example, are trying to go fishing there, the live up from fishing or the folks that work in, in um, let's say, uh, tourism and hospitality. Nobody's going to gonna want to come and take hospitality or, or enjoy the hospitality, hunting the beach, sit by the beach, et cetera, if that's, that's happening there. So there's an impact that goes all around and it could be months. It could be months. And uh, that's before we start talking about the uh, beach access that was taken away from people that need that space to, to enjoy nature. Yeah, it's a tremendous problem, and and hopefully it makes people think more about how we can prevent disasters like this. Now, I'm, for one, am very new to ocean conservation, and maybe a lot of our listeners are. Like, what what do you think more people should know about ocean conservation, and where do Latinx folks fit into this? I think that the most important thing to know is that the ocean needs protection. So we look at the ocean and we see it and it's majestic and large and powerful. And a lot of people think that it's too big to fail, but it's not, right? And so first of all, we get more than half of our oxygen that we breathe, whether you're right now in San Diego on the coast or you're inland 100 kilometers, you're getting half of your oxygen from the ocean. And so this only works if you have a healthy ocean, right? 
And so um, that's obviously in our interest to make sure that the ocean is healthy, but we have impacts and we have dangers to the ocean as important as obviously plastic pollution, which a lot of people know, oil drilling, the spilling, the, the, you know, um, basically all the industrialization of the coast, um, climate change, acidification, um, so sea level rise. So we have many issues um, to deal with overfishing, et cetera. And I think that it is, I think the most important thing that I tell people is that ocean needs protection. The ocean protects us and we need to protect it. At the same time, the ocean is not just a um, victim. It could be a big part of the solutions that we have towards minimizing climate impacts. Um, so for example, um, parts of the ocean could be a much better um, sequestering of carbon um, sites than, than outside than even plants. And so that's actually what we're seeing. The, the idea is that you know we the ocean has sequestered so much carbon that we really haven't seen the impacts of climate change because it's been such a carbon sink. So we need to, to take action and we need to take action now, whether whatever the, the subject is that interests you, plastic, overfishing, et cetera, just take one and start today. So you've made space in your home for your work desk, but now you're ready to make it cute. Maybe your new work life is on the go, or maybe you're going back to the office and need some fresh goodies to get you excited about the work you're doing. Check out shopofficelead.com for a subscription box like no other created by a Latina mom who's obsessed with pretty office supplies. We just got our box and it's filled with adorable stationery and decorations for your desk. Each season, you get a surprise box of unique goodies to beautify your workspace. Each product is high quality and sourced from women-owned businesses so you can feel good about your gorgeous buys. Tamarindo listeners, get 15% off the fall box. Just use the code TAMARINDO in all caps at checkout. Get ready to spark creativity and increase productivity with beautifully curated supplies just for you. Follow on Instagram at shop underscore officely and get ready to make your workspace your happy place. Once again, use offer code TAMARINDO in all caps for 15% off at shopofficely.com and that's spelled O-F-F-I-C-E-L-Y. Cuando mi arrendador dijo que el alquiler podría ser más barato si fuéramos amigos con beneficios. Había oído hablar de acoso sexual en el lugar de trabajo, pero en mi casa. Eso es discriminación en la vivienda basada en el sexo. La gente de bienes raíces dijo que estaríamos más cómodos viviendo en un vecindario diferente con gente como nosotros. Por suerte conocíamos nuestros derechos. Es ilegal asustar a los posibles propietarios para que se alejen de ciertos vecindarios en función de raza o nacionalidad. Si usted cree que sufrió discriminación o tiene preguntas sobre sus derechos, comuníquese con Fair Housing Foundation, Fundación de Vivienda Justa, al 800-446-3247 o también en línea en fhfca.org. La vivienda justa es su derecho. Este es un anuncio de servicio público de Fair Housing Foundation y respaldado por el Departamento de Vivienda y Desarrollo Urbano HUD bajo la subvención de FIPPI, FPEI, 220099. This work is really very heavy, and you stated how you've been surprised to be in this work for the past 10 years. So I'd like to know what is your why? What motivates you to stay in this? So there's fight? two things. Um, you know, the why there's 
there's that we have to do something about it. And I personally have a deep and um, deep and unbridled love for the ocean that again comes from, from where I grew up. And in fact, one of my first, if not the first memories that I have are falling asleep to, to the sound of crashing waves. Um, to me, if I were to describe something, um, the, se- the scent of home is like salty air. Um, so this is something that's just second nature to me. Um, also taking action really helps with hopelessness because at least you're doing something right. And so like, well, I know I'm working on this. I know I'm working on that. And then I think, um, we could talk about, you know, um, children and our families and stuff like that. And obviously now that I have a daughter, it's important for me to look at like, well, where is she going to live? What is that going to look like? What kind of air is she going to breathe? But, um, I think that one thing overall is that I am very, very, very Ditka. And so I'll be damned if I don't fight my way out. Listen, if we're going to go down, I'm going down kicking and screaming. So I, I just don't that. feel I why that. I would like just, okay, sure. I'm going to, even if I lose, why would I give up now? Right? Like, you know, hope is the last to die. And so that's just where I am. So I think there's the hope and the terquedad. Uh, I love that. The, the power of terquedad. <laughs> Very great. Um, I love that so much. So uh, again, this is such an important time for you. 10 years. Amazing. So how is Azul celebrating this milestone? Well, so I am, we're so lucky. Um, we are celebrating with um, our new campaign, En El Mar, which um, is a multimedia campaign, includes a record. Yes, a record. We produced a record in the middle of the pandemic um, with... Um, 14 songs and the idea about that record is a goal to go uh, again to go back to that um identity and just kind of like who is a notion conservationist what are these things that are in our background that we already know and celebrate that as ours right community tradition and really just reaffirm and reclaim that as part of our culture um we have songs that um you know, I, I used to, I used to, when I'm creating a new campaign, I always put like cumbias in the background because I'm trying to like hit a specific feel for campaigns. And I started realizing that there's a lot of them that were ocean themed. And so I was very lucky that um, two years ago, I met Michael Vistel, who is, um, who used to be the um, saxophonist for Calle 13. And we met in Spain, he lives in Spain now, and we had been talking about a bunch of stuff and wanted to collaborate on something um, because in his family, by the way, everybody in his family is a musician except for his mom, who is a marine biologist. And so it was something that he wanted to do as well. And um, we collaborated in an event in, um, at the COP, the climate conference in Madrid. And we really wanted to bring that to more people. How do we bottle this? And the music, was that link, right? Like, how do you evoke those feelings? Because as an activist, you know, it's about storytelling and it's about connecting with people heart to heart. And I can tell you all about the the facts and the figures and that's perfectly fine. And you always have to have that science and we're always science-based, but that's not how you hook people in. You hook people in with nostalgia, with, with memories, with something that matters to them. And so that's where it started. We looked at, all these songs, we came up with like 300 different songs that were all, you know, ocean themed. And we somehow whittled them down. And there's 14 songs. Um, Michael, I don't even know how he does this, but he managed to get us um, Omar Portuondo from the Buenavista Social Club to sing one of the songs. Um, we have um, 
we have um, Daimia Rosena, Aileen Perez. And so it was really exciting because um, we put all this together and it was, you know, there's 16, um, a 16 piece orchestra and trying to get them all into a recording studio because if you record differently and you mix it, it doesn't sound the same, blah, blah, blah. And the idea was to evoke that feeling. And, you know, people hear it now and they start crying and they start like having these memories because they're talking about, you know, La Barca de Roberto Cantoral. We're talking about, um, you know, Sopa de Caracol. We're talking about A la Orilla del Mar. And so, so these are all so songs that speak to that really deep connection. And so that's, we wanted to celebrate. We wanted to connect with folks and really just bring some joy in the middle of this pandemic um, at the same time. You know, we do have an ask, hey, did you know that we're trying to protect 30% of the ocean? So it's cool because we've had um, news articles that cover the record and then they talk about the 30-30 campaign. So let's dance, let's party, let's uh, dance our way to protect the ocean type of thing. Excellent. And what is the 30-30 campaign? So 30-30 campaign is a worldwide goal that talks about if we protect 30% of the ocean and 30% of land around the world, we may be able to stave off the worst impacts of climate change. Why? Because we talked before, um, the ocean is a really good carbon sink and there's certain places in the ocean that actually retain more carbon than others. And if you protect things, uh, depending on where you protect things, you actually stop um, production of carbon because also there's release of carbon when you fish in the ocean. Um, so the idea is that we are creating saving accounts for the ocean. Why? Because these are areas that you protect, you protect to a certain, you know, to length and you get sort of like interest and those benefits, like the fish that come out of like protected areas, they don't stay there. They actually like spill over. So this is spillover effect. And so the idea is that we're creating marine protected areas in protected areas on land that would help us save off that worst, those worst impacts. Um, and so this is something that we're trying to do worldwide. It is, um, it is based on science. California passed the executive order last year. That was our work for last year. And the important part about California is that um, our executive order here actually says that it has three, three, you know, three legs on the stool. 30% of the ocean, 30% of, um, of land. And oh, by the way, we are also going to have a deep invest into equity and environmental justice to make sure that we're protecting nature for people, not just from people. Excellent. So you've mapped out some great ways that people can get plugged in and, and that's wonderful. We're going to definitely link all the information so folks can get connected with Azul and get that in El Mar compilation. So the last thing we do with our guests is we have these rapid fire fun questions. So we're going to wrap up with these. So the first question is, what goes in la basura? What are you done with? It could be a person, place, thing, concept. It could be big. It could be small. Whatever you are ready to throw in well, la basura. Well, I can say the spill, but that's too easy. I want to put into la basura the idea that California um, does enough on on the environment. I think that we have a lot of work to do. And while there's a lot of leadership that we do here in California, let us put away that thing that we cannot do better. California is a big oil producing state and that is a problem for folks, not just the folks in the, the, the dealing with spill right now, but also the folks in, that live next to it, be it in LA or in Central Valley. So I think that we need to put away that um, goes to the basura because we need to fix that and fix that yesterday. 
Excellent. So California, you're on notice. And um, what gets your matraca? What is something you're celebrating? Um, I'm really excited about how much people have responded to this. Um, I'm always excited once uh, folks understand the problematic. I wish it didn't take a spill or, or things like that. But you know what? I'm going to see the silver lining. And I'm excited about how much concern people are, are showing. And, and I think that this could be um, the start of a really big movement. And frankly, the calls to stop um, drilling off the coast, I'm, I'm all for that. Wonderful. And then lastly, with all the work that you're leading, especially as a, you, as a young mom, um, tell me, how do you get your calma? How do you stay grounded? Um, oh, boy. <laughs> I dance a lot um, and I read a lot. I think that's it. It's music and reading and obviously tacos and familia and not in that order. Obviously my family is first. Um, <laughs> having moved from San Francisco, because I moved from San Francisco down to San Diego, both because of pandemic space and you need to be close to family. I have to say, I don't even know how I would do this without family. So um, family tradition, culture, that grounds me and keeps me going. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Marcel, for spending time with us. It was so wonderful to let our listeners know about your tremendous work. And we look forward to joining you in the fight to conserve our oceans and more. Thank you. All right. I'm so grateful for Marce and the work that Azul is doing. Another reminder you might have heard at our last episode that we let you know that there are some opportunities to join the Azul team. So do check them out, azul.org, and maybe you could be part of the fight along with Marce. So, Ana Sheila, just to close out our conversation today, what is going in la basura for in you la today? Basura. All right, let's see, let's, let's see if I can explain this well. Okay, so what I want to put the basu- in the basura today is the idea that everyone has an equal choice. So let me let me explain that a little bit. Okay, mm. so mm-hmm. I got into an Instagram conversation <laughs> with a man of color who um, in his bio said he was a spiritual wellness advisor. And I was telling him that it can be harder for our communities to sometimes have healthier or healthy lifestyles, eating habits, because... A lot of companies sort of target us um, with a lot of things that aren't very healthy. And then there's also sometimes a lack of resources, time, money, et cetera, in order to to have or or develop healthier uh, lifestyles, habits. And what he responded was that, that it was just a choice, that when he was younger, he was really poor, but he still just got frozen vegetables and da 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 and for me, that's what I want to put in the basura, the, I, the idea that, it, that it's literally just a choice and that our context and our background does not matter. And that was really frustrating for me to hear him say that as a spiritual wellness advisor, as a, as a man of color, because, um, you know, I thought back to, to my dad. So my dad, um, you know, suffered from diabetes and that, that was part of what he passed from. And so, you know, diabetes was killing him. And, you know, I, I think like he didn't want to, you know, die. It's a set, like there were so many other things at play that, that he grew up with. There was a lot of trauma and the way that he responded to that trauma because he didn't know how to cope in other ways was with addiction, alcohol, food. Like he, I saw him try to make changes, but it was just so much harder for him 
than it was for me because he carried a trauma and other things that he'd never learned how to cope with in a, in a healthier ways. And so I saw him. And at first I remember like, I don't like, why can't he just make these changes? This is literally killing him. But I, once I understood, like, we do not have the same context. We do not have the same background. We do not have the same addictions. I understood that his choice is not the same as my choice. And so that is what I want to put in La Basura. <laughs> yeah, the basura is that the concept that folks ha are total architects of yes. their life without context of trauma and all the other shit that contributes to addiction and all the problems that many people face. Like it's not, nobody wants to be in those situations. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, double down on that basura to that person that, and I'm, I'm troubled that he's a quote unquote wellness coach. So. Super basura to that shit. <laughs> right, exactly. So, yes. So we get to make sure that we're doing the work to challenge those, those quote unquote wellness advisors. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and this is why I really love the work that you do, Anna Sheila, and I, and I um, aspire to be part of this of constantly challenging our learning and challenging the, our concepts and continuing to learn and unlearn. So, oh, matraca to us, <laughs> matraca to us. But I have some really stupid basuras and I have multiple, so we might as well uh, go down the list. So basura number yes. one, when you go to a bathroom and there's a mirror directly in front of the toilet, I don't need to see myself, basura to that. <laughs> that is so terrible. My other basura, when did we equate unicorns with rainbows? I see them together, like, yes, they, they appear together, <laughs> but I've seen products where like unicorn flavor and all it is is rainbow colored. These are different things. <laughs> Anyways. Yes, that's weird. You know what? What if it goes all the way back to, this is the first cartoon I ever watched and I had a doll and maybe that was foreshadowing of my gayness, queerness, um, Rainbow Bright. I don't know if you're familiar with the cartoon. It's from the from the very late 80s, I think, or early yeah, 90s. Yeah, yeah, but yes. I'm pretty sure she was all rainbow and rode on a unicorn. It's probably not that, but I do remember that there was lots of unicorns. And they're, <laughs> they're often together. But I just say, Brand, if you're going to go ahead and label your product unicorn, Try harder than just rainbows. That's, right. that's I feel what I'm you. saying. I feel you. That's I feel what I'm saying. <laughs> and then my last basura, because I, a couple things. One is I love Oscar Isaac. He's a delicious man. And I just <laughs> binged watch. Yes. I, I just, every time I see a billboard, I'm pretty sure I'm pregnant afterwards. <laughs> I, billboard of Dune. I did watch, what is it called? Scenes of a Marriage on HBO. Great, great thing to watch. I think it's phenomenal acting. And I just want my big my one critique is that Oscar Isaac plays a Jewish man. And I feel like people do marometas to make sure that Oscar never plays a Latino man. Like he plays anything but that. And that annoys me. So basura to Oscar Isaac never being a Guatemalan or a Latino. Oh, OK. Yeah. You know, and I haven't seen a, a, a project with him yet, but I've been wanting to watch because I you are such because I've, I've heard you be a stand. You are a stand for Oscar Isaac. You know, I don't know if his <laughs> acting is that phenomenal, to be honest. It's all right. This scenes from a marriage is a great exercise in acting. The, the entire thing is basically a play. It's really, really in the two actors going at it. It's very well done. But Jessica out, out acts the shit out of him. He, I don't think he's that great of an actor, but he's a good looking man. You're a man. stand of his aesthetic. <laughs> yeah, I'm a stand of his aesthetic. But um, like, 
let's let him be a Guatemalan man. Right. When you share that. Let's just let him be. Right. And I actually know that there's an upcoming project that he's going to be a part of called Dune, where he, again, is not playing a Guatemalan or any Latino man. (laughs) I just but I do like that he's taking your job. You know, like I do like that because I'm starting to I saw this on Twitter and I'm starting to embrace it. But Latinos aren't here to take your job. And actually, we are. I'm here to take your job out. Take your job specifically is what I heard someone tweet. Oh, yeah. You know what? Yes, I am here to take your job. So I do like that. He's taking people's jobs. Bueno, with that, uh, let's see. We did our basuras. I I guess matraca to us. Okay. What do you have? have? So I've been reading the book Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Have you heard of it or read it yet? No. Okay. So she is currently married to the former soccer uh, goat, great uh, Abby Wambach. If you're, are you familiar with Abby Wambach? I don't know any of these people. Okay, well, no. she was one of the best <laughs> female soccer players in our awesome. in our history, but she's retired now. But anyway, she originally got known for being actually a Christian blogger. So this book, and she's oh, written wow. several books, and this book is actually about her experiences uncaging herself. And she says, mm, yeah, and it was intri- really, I'm intrigued now. Yeah, I'm intrigued I just now. started reading it. And she says, her mom at some point, she says, she thinks Abby, her new, her wife now, because she tells her that she hasn't seen her daughter be this alive since she was 10. And if you don't mind, I actually just want to read what she shares about being Please, 10. Please go ahead. So I have the book open. So give me a second. She says, 10 is when we learn how to be good girls and real boys. 10 is when children begin to hide who they are in order to become what the world expects them to be. Right around 10 is when we begin to internalize our formal taming. And so she says, I wanted to be a good girl, so I tried to control myself. I chose a personality, a body, a faith, a sexual, and a sexuality so tiny I had to hold my breath to fit myself inside. Then I promptly became very sick. So then she actually suffered for decades from bulimia. She was an alcoholic. She was married to a man. Um, so this whole book is about her uncaging. And it really is resonating with me because I remember when I was 10 is the first time that I sort of also remember. It's crazy that she says 10. And I'm like, oh my God, 10 is when I feel like this happened to me when I was in school. And I may have mentioned this before, but I, at that, up until that point, I just dressed however I wanted to dress. And I used to kind of wear baggy shirts and like, I just thought I looked cool, verdad? But there was a boy on the playground that one day asked me, she says, hey, so are you a boy or a girl? Because you look like a girl, but you dress like a boy. And that was the first time that I sort of internalized, oh, I'm supposed to dress and be and do all these things as a girl. And that was sort of como like the beginning of my path, also being in a cage. And so this book is about... Um, how she starts to design her new identity or her new identity and purpose, whatever, by design instead of by default, she says, from my imagination instead of my indoctrination, from my wild instead of that. from my training. So it's it's I'm, I'm early in, but I feel like, you know, that, that that probably resonates with so many people, right? Men and women to, to some extent. We've all been put in some kind of cage and, and our, our adult lives are sort of trying to get out of those cages and, and be free. So. Right. Some cages more restrictive because of society, which kind of goes back to your earlier basura of choice. Some choices are difficult because of society, like the cages that we impose on people. It's not as easy. So back to pushing back against this notion of choice. And your matraca inspired another book as well. I absolutely love Phoebe Robinson. She's amazing. She's a comic. She is, I think, a thinker. I mean, she's just phenomenal. She's got to interview Michelle Obama, who she calls Mish. She's written several books, all of which I've read. They're just a complete delight to read. So her latest book is called Please Don't Sit on My Bed in Your Outside Clothes. 
And it's a collection of essays, always on point. One of my favorite lines was that the, the revolution will not be Karenized. I love that. She's got <laughs> such a creative art, I guess, with words. She's it's just, just so hilarious. And if you're a follower of Tamarindo, we often share what she does is she celebrates a peen Thursday. So she finds like a dude of the, of the week and just writes these hilarious <laughs> things about that peen. So you all should check out Phoebe Robinson. She's so that. funny. Well, with that, we've had another episode. I can't wait to get back on this Zoom for the next one. And until the next one, everybody, pon tu suéter y nos vemos. Nos vemos. Chao. Chao. Tamarindo Podcast is part of Sonoro Media. It is hosted by Brenda Gonzalez and Ana Sheila Victorino. Producer Jeff provides original music. Follow us on Instagram at Tamarindo Podcast and on Twitter at Tamarindo Cast. Support our show by sharing this episode with a friend, writing us a review on Apple Podcasts, or contributing financially to the show. All contributions, big or small, help us keep bringing you great conversations and free or low-cost events. To get in touch with us or to support us, please go to tamarindopodcast.com. Cuando mi arrendador dijo que el alquiler podría ser más barato si fuéramos amigos con beneficios. Había oído hablar de acoso sexual en el lugar de trabajo, pero en mi casa. Eso es discriminación en la vivienda basada en el sexo. La gente de bienes raíces dijo que estaríamos más cómodos viviendo en un vecindario diferente con gente como nosotros. Por suerte conocíamos nuestros derechos. Es ilegal asustar a los posibles propietarios para que se alejen de ciertos vecindarios en función de raza o nacionalidad. Si usted cree que sufrió discriminación o tiene preguntas sobre sus derechos, comuníquese con Fair Housing Foundation, Fundación de Vivienda Justa, al 800-446-3247 o también en línea en fhfca.org. La vivienda justa es su derecho. Este es un anuncio de servicio público de Fair Housing Foundation y respaldado por el Departamento de Vivienda y Desarrollo Urbano HUD bajo la subvención de FIPPI FPEI 220099. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.